Thanks be to God. So today we're winding up this series called Generous. And I know some of you are really excited that we're winding it up because whenever we talk about giving or stewardship, whenever we talk about generosity, it's a little bit like going to the dentist. And it's like, you know, you need to hear it. And yet there's always a challenge in it, which makes it a little bit uncomfortable. But I think it's important for us to talk about because Jesus talked about it. And I wouldn't want to deprive you of some of the most important teaching of God's word. So we've been looking at three different times in uh, the Old Testament when God's people were extraordinarily generous. And we talked the first week uh, about the time where they gathered all the material to make the tabernacle. And we wrestled with this question, am I willing to be generous? And that's really where it starts. Am I willing to be generous? Then last week we talked about how they were going to build the temple. And we wrestled with this question, what financial legacy will I leave? Because we're all going to leave everything. And now today, we're going to think about what does generosity actually accomplish? I mean, what what does it do? And here's the big idea for the day. If you don't get anything else I say, I want you to get this. You might want to write this one down, and it's real plain and real simple to understand. Generosity makes things happen. Generosity makes things happen. When God's people are generous, souls are saved, the kingdom of God expands, missionaries are sent, people are healed, there is work that is done that brings families together, saves marriages, people have the hope of heaven, people find their purpose in life, people find real support and real community, and they grow to be more like Jesus. When generosity occurs, things happen. Now, Having given you the sermon in miniature, I'm still going to talk for 25 more minutes. (laughs) Let me give you a round of the passage that we read because it's really pretty amazing. It all starts with a king named uh, Azariah, or Ahaziah, excuse me. He is the king of Judah. He is murdered by his uh, household servants. And so as a result of his murder, his mother, Athaliah, who was sort of an evil woman, she arranges for all the rest of the royal household to be killed. Uh, She was not a pleasant woman, so she kills all of her grandchildren. How would you like that for a grandmother? And she takes the throne. Now, this is one of the reasons you should read your Bible, because what's in the Bible is juicier than what you see in Game of Thrones, right? I know that none of you really watch that. Now, there is one of uh, the king's children a one baby named Joash who survives. He is hidden in the temple by the chief priest, a guy named Jehoiada. Jehoiada. Not only is the chief he is the chief priest, he is also Joash's uncle. They're a southern family. Everything kind of ties together, right? And so they. they They hide this baby, and for seven years, he's brought up in the temple. He never leaves the temple. When he's seven years old, they bring him out. They announce who he is. He is proclaimed the king. The troops go out. They kill the wicked king, queen, Athaliah. And then uh, Joash is now the king, and Jehoiada, the chief priest, is his advisor, the one who gives him wisdom. It's a pretty fascinating story. Now, we pick up the story in chapter 24 of 2 Chronicles, and what has happened is obviously Joash has gotten older. By this time, we don't know, he's 14, 15, 16, 18, probably 18 max. 
He's been on the throne about 11 years. Jehoiada has been speaking to him, but now God begins to stir Joash's heart. And we're going to look at verse 4. Now, the translation I'm going to use is going to be different than what we read. We read the New International Version. The translation I'm going to be using is one that I did this week because there's some really cool stuff that I want us to see. All right, verse 4. There was within the heart of Joash to renew the house of the Lord. Now, let's stop right there. God put something in Joash's heart. He stirred his heart. I have confidence in the ability of our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit to stir every person's heart. Question is, are you listening? God can communicate better to you than I can. So I want to ask you a simple question. What has God put in your heart? What's God put in your heart? Just last week, this guy gave me a book, and it's about the moral and financial decline of America. And I know that that is what stirs his heart. And I know this guy well enough to know he's not just giving me the book and saying, this is something that I'm worried about. He's giving me the book, and he is praying for our country. He's praying for revival. And let's face it, in our country today, it's a lot easier just to complain about how awful things are than to actually do something about it, right? Right? By the way, this is why you shouldn't watch too much TV news, because TV news is all about people who are not happy with the way things are, but they're not doing anything about it. So let's be doers, not just hearers. All right, that's just free bonus. Now, there's a financial dimension to this. The financial dimension of this is, I believe for every one of us who is a follower of Jesus Christ, God is going to stir your heart about generosity. God wants you to be generous. God's going to stir your heart. And God has an ability to show you what you should do when it comes to being generous. But the question always is, well, what does that look like? And we can define it all kinds of ways. But here's, here's what I have learned, just my own journey. Generosity is always about three steps beyond what I'm comfortable with. In other words, if I just do the figuring and I do the math and I say, okay, this is what it means for me to be generous, God is pushing me and saying, I want you to go a little bit past that. Now, maybe your, your experience is different. That's my experience. So the temple's in disrepair. God has stirred Joash's heart. And now Joash has a solution. Verse 5, he gathered the priests and the Levites, the Levites are the guys who work in the temple, and said to them, go out to the cities of Judah and collect from all Israel money to strengthen the house of God, enough for each year. Now hurry up and do these words. But the Levites did not hurry. Why? They were Baptists. <laughs> you recognize this pattern, right? It's called passive aggressive. We've all seen it. Go clean up your room. I will, as soon as I finish this level. Okay. How long does it take to finish a level on a game? No one knows. Right, it's just, it just, you know, people will slow roll you. That's one of the terms you use in business. When people tell you when they will do something and then they don't do it or they put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. Now, why do really the Levites not want to do this? Because generosity and encouraging people to be generous is hard work. And they're afraid. They don't want to leave their comfort. And, and here is something really important. Whether we're talking about businesses, organizations, families, churches, or you, when most people are offered vision that requires discomfort, they will choose comfort. Think about it. 
Isn't that why your business is stuck? Isn't that why a lot of churches are stuck? Isn't that why a lot of families are stuck? And maybe that's why you're stuck spiritually, because God's putting before you a next step, and you're saying, that'll require me to be uncomfortable. I don't know. I don't know if I can stand being uncomfortable. Try it. Because there's never progress without discomfort. There is never growth without discomfort. You cannot change without discomfort. This is why generosity is a challenge. If you give nothing, you give nothing. And then you finally get convicted and you start giving something. You get comfortable giving something. You say, you know, I give $20 a week. Most people don't give anything. You get comfortable. And the next step of generosity comes up and go, oh, oh, that's too scary. All right, and then, and then the next week, God speaks to you and you realize you, you, really, you really do need to tithe. And so you really grit your teeth and you go up and you start giving 10% of your income and then you get comfortable and you say, well, I'm better than 80% of the people who don't even tithe. And I'm just comfortable giving 10%. That's all I'm gonna give. And then, then God says, I want you to step out. I want you to be generous. And now what we get to is how much do you really need? How much is enough? It's a good question. I want you to just think about this. I, I, I thought about this. You're the only service I'll do this with. And so I was talking to a man in, in our church who's since gone to be with the Lord, and he had five daughters, which meant he lived with six women in a three-bedroom house with one bathroom. I said, Kenneth, how did you do that? And he said, strong bladder pastor. <laughs> now, I just want you to think, you know, oh gosh, how'd that man cope, cope? I mean, most of us, we've got a bathroom for everybody who lives in the house and two or three to spare. But think about how much farther better off you are than people who lived 150 years ago and their bathroom was 50 yards behind the house. See, how much is enough? What generosity really does when we embrace generosity thinking is it challenges us to think in terms of how much is enough, can I trust Jesus, and now can I understand that everything else that comes to me is meant to share? Is that the way you think? I think most of us, we settle into a level of comfort. So here is Joash's response to the passive-aggressive tactics of the Levites. The king called Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, why do you not require the Levites to bring from Judah and Jerusalem the sacred portion of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the assembly of Israel for the tent of testimony? <laughs> There's so much in this verse. First of all, Joash calls Jehoiada onto the carpet. Remember, Jehoiada saved his life. Jehoiada taught him. Jehoiada protected him. Jehoiada is the chief priest, the one who's once a year allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. Jehoiada is his spiritual mentor, the wise guy, wise man who leads him through the government. Maturity is when you can finally speak truth to your mentor. Think about the courage this took. Where Joash says to this wise man who's protected him, respected him, and says, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Now here's the second thing in this passage, it's really important. 
Look, this isn't my command, Joash says. This is the command of Moses. Remember Moses, he's the guy who set this whole thing up. I hear through the grapevine from time to time, people say, all Pastor Clay does is talk about money. Okay, I get that. And sometimes it feels that way, particularly when we do a three-week series about it. Here's what I want you to know. It's not me. Your problem is not with me. Your problem is with Jesus. Now, that's a little scary because you think, well, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus loves me. Jesus forgives me. Yes, but Jesus also said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, do you believe that? Okay, some of you aren't sure, and I get that. That's okay. But if you think Jesus is powerful enough to save you, then don't you think you might also want to pay attention to his word when he says, I want you to examine your treasure. I want you to really examine where your money's going. And I want you to think about it. Because Jesus knows, I don't know why God set it up this way. Jesus knows your soul can't be healthy unless it's generous. But all through the Bible, and honestly, all through the history of the Christian church, nobody who is greedy has a healthy soul. It's only the people who are generous. And so if you're not being generous, your soul is sick. And your heavenly father does not want you to have a sick soul. And you're saying, well, I intend to do this one day. One day I'm going to be generous. One day when I get my finances straightened out, one day when I get my debt paid off, one day when finally I can kind of get a promotion, get my head above water, one day when I finally don't have to support my kids anymore. Let me pause right there. (laughs) That day ain't going to ever come. Intending to is failure to. Right? Right? Isn't it true? Intending to is failure to. So you have to actually deal with this, take this seriously. There's one more thing. So we talked about how this one verse, you know, about you speak truth to to your mentor, you you learn that that this is really a word from, from God and there's also this phrase, though, that they're bringing the offering to the Lord, to the house of testimony. Now, this is real important because testimony, you know what a testimony is. That's what the t- word tabernacle really means. It means a place where you tell the truth. The reason coming to worship matters, the reason gathering for worship matters, is because we come to be reminded we serve a God who is real, who's interested in our own lives, who does forgive us, who does love us, and who does make a difference. So what we sing, what we hear from a message, baptism, Lord's Supper, everything we do is giving testimony to the fact that our God is alive, he's at work, and that's where we're going to live. Even when we give an offering, maybe especially when we give an offering, because he's saying, I believe in God so much, I'm going to give him my money and trust he'll still take care of me. Now, I want you to skip to verse 8. The king spoke, and they made one ark, and they set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. So, you know, Joash says, we're going to do something different. Instead of sending the Levites out, we're going to collect things here. We're going to make a box, an ark, and some of your translations will use chest, 
and we're going to put it in the gate, and that's where people can bring their offering. Now, this is one of the reasons I really want to do my own translation and share it with you, because the word ark that we translated here, your version may be translated chest, if you go back in the Old Testament, remember Moses, Raiders of the Lost Ark? The Ark of the Covenant was a box they made, overlaid with gold. They put the Ten Commandments in it, and then above it they put a seat made of gold. It was called the mercy seat. It's a beautiful picture of how God says, here's the expectations, the law, the Ten Commandments, and now over that I'm going to put mercy. Thank goodness, because none of us can keep the law. And now the same word is used of this chest, of this box. It is saying, okay, because we believe so much in God and his mercy, even though we can't keep the law, we're going to still trust God to forgive us and love us, and we're going to give our money to show it. You hear how these two arcs relate to each other? Uh, the church I served in Louisville was uh, in this area just south of Churchill Downs, and there were several Baptist churches around, and there was a church close to us called Victory Memorial. And they were started in 1918, so right after World War I, and every year on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, they had the chest of Joash. And one of their deacons had done this beautiful hand-carved box, they brought it out, they set it in front of the church, and everybody in the church would come forward and put their offering into the chest. Excuse me. And that's how they paid for their building maintenance all through the year. And here's a really interesting thing. They had the best maintained building in our whole area. And I think it was because people actually got this. It was a beautiful reenactment of this story in Second Chronicles. And you say, well, it's so great. Why didn't you do it? Because I didn't want to be accused of copying them. Okay. It's not a very spiritual reason. Verses 9 and 10. He gave word in Judah, this is Joash, and in Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the portion Moses, the servant of God, put upon Israel in the wilderness, and all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, and they filled the ark up. Now, Joash gave the command to bring what God commanded to the temple. This is important. This is so important. The offering is for the temple, but the offering is to God. Let me explain why that matters. People say to me from time to time, I know I need to give because I know the church has bills. Yes, it's true we have bills. I know I need to give because we need to pay the preacher. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> I know we need to give because Pacala needs a building. Yes, that's all very true, very true. But remember, we're not giving to a building, to the preacher, or to the bills. We're giving to the Lord. That's where the money goes. People, I've heard people say, well, I don't know why a church needs a building. And you're right, you're right. Churches don't need buildings. Churches all over the world meet without buildings. How many of you would have come to church this morning in this chilly morning if we didn't have a building? Be honest, you're in church. Let me see your hands. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one youth. Folks, let's just be honest. I mean, number one, you've done better than any other service. 8.30, there was only three. But it was colder at 8.30. A building's a tool, and we've got to have a tool. And if you're not convinced of that, then I want you to volunteer for the load-in, load-out crew at Pacala for two months. And I think you'll agree they need a building. 
I don't know if people get nervous and say, do we have to do it now? Uh, not too long ago, I took a trip from Raleigh to, um, down to Columbia. Um, and so we, we didn't come back through Central. We went all the way around 85, down through Charlotte, then into Columbia. And man, all along 85, they're building stuff. They're building hotels. They're building restaurants. They're building uh, these warehouses, huge warehouses, a lot of them for Amazon. And I'm thinking, you know, if a business has that much confidence in the future that they're building, why are God's people afraid? Now, I, I'm not trying to tell you, you know, you, you shouldn't have concerns and all this, this, and this, this, and this. I'm just saying why we need to be generous at this moment, even if we weren't building a building for Pacala, is so that we can give testimony to this world. Hey, business is confident about the future, but we are more confident because we know who holds the future. And it's time for us as God's people to give testimony that we trust our God more than we trust some panicked report from some news outlet that's trying to scare us to vote a certain way so that you and I are sure that our hope is in Jesus Christ, not in a politician. Okay, and I'm just going to say this one more thing. This is not in the script. The people in the back room who follow along and put stuff on the screen are panicking right now. It scares me how many Christians still believe that a politician is our salvation instead of saying, look, we're not going to care about that. We're going to care about our Savior Jesus and what he's about and about the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, if you have a problem with what I just said, I want to hear from you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Danny. <laughs> but if you've got a problem with what I'm saying, what I want you to do is I want you to email. Email us. Tell us. Email Todd Fleming. <laughs> no, you can email me, okay? Clay Smith at ADVC.org. All right. Now, let me tell you the challenge real quick, and then I've got to move on. Um, we need in over and above giving, in over and above giving, over the next uh, six weeks, we've got, uh, we got six, seven weeks, uh, we need about $1.4 million. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Not a lot of money for God. Not a lot of money for God's people. I believe we can do this. And this is going to put us on firm footing to be able to get that Pacala building built. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to pray a real simple prayer. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, show me my part Give me the courage to do it. Really, say, Heavenly Father, show me my part. Show me what generosity looks like for me. And then give me the courage to do it. Now, there's something else that happens in this passage. Verse 10, I want you to see it. So the Levites put the chest there, and don't you know, don't you know the Levites are sitting there going, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. I mean, it's, it, people don't want to give, but, but the people rejoiced, and the king rejoiced, and they filled up that ark, that box, that chest. They filled it up, and everybody rejoices. Let me tell you, the church I grew up in, the offering was not a time of rejoicing. We sang hymns, and they were good hymns, and, and you know, we all sang pretty good, and then, and then some deacon would mumble a prayer, and everybody would sit down, and then the organ would start to play. It sounded like somebody died. Everybody would get sad. All the kids would get restless. And then the choir would try to sing us back awake, and then the preacher would yell us awake. Folks, I think offerings ought to be happy times. 
I know that there are churches where they are, where they beat the tambourine, they beat the drums, they play some upbeat music, and people, a lot of those churches, they come down to the front and they, they put their offering in the basket. Now, we're not going to do that. Since COVID, we've been taking up the offering at the door as you leave. It just seems a little bit more sanitary, a little more wise. But listen, today, here's what I want you to do. I want you, when you pass by those baskets today and you put your offering in, I want you to dance. I do. It's a joyous time. We ought to rejoice. And some of you are going, I don't think we can do that in church. Listen, at 8.30, I challenged him to do this. 8.30, I challenged him. One lady went out. She was shagging. Another lady came out dancing. We had to call the ambulance. She broke her hip. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Why shouldn't an offering be a joyous time where we celebrate God has given us? We can be generous. That's a happy thing. And now, now that's, there's a part that we're not going to read. It's really pretty cool. Um, the overseers, they counted all the money. All of you who are accountants and numbers guys. See, you're in the Bible. They made sure everything was taken care of. Everything was put in the right place, just like we do with your money. Nobody's skimming the offering. There's no kickbacks. And then they hired the skilled people. They, they hired the, the, the stonemasons. They hired the engravers with the stones, the people who could work the wood, the people who could do the fine craftsmanship of all these articles of, that you need for worship, the big platters to hold the offerings on. And things got done. Because generosity makes things happen. Now look at verse 13. The workers did the work, and the restoration went up by the work of their hands. They stood up the house of God upon its portion, and they strengthened it. Now this verse, I love this verse. And, and even when I get it down to as close as its original meaning in Hebrew as possible, I still can't quite get it to you in a concise form. First of all, there's the whole idea the temple has fallen down. So what are they doing? They're standing it up. They're standing it up. And what are they standing it up on? On its portion. The word portion can also mean sacrifice. It can also mean offering. They're standing up the temple on the basis of the offering of the people. On the generosity of God's people. That's the foundation they're using to stand up this building. I want you to remember every building you ever see in the United States of America and around the world that has the word church on it and is associated with Jesus Christ, it's standing on the generosity of God's people. Those buildings don't just pop up. They happen because God's people are generous. I thank you for being a generous church, and I think God's given us another opportunity to be generous. And now we come all the way back around to the big idea, generosity makes things happen. God's work gets done. The kingdom gets expanded. Souls are saved. And when you're generous, you're just like Jesus. Now, if you're not a believer, number one, thanks for listening all this time. Um, and you're going, yeah, okay, I get it. It's supposed to be generous. But isn't this really for Christians? It is. It is. But here's what I want you to know. Even if you're not a believer, you should still be generous. Because God designed the human soul that generosity makes us healthy. And even the billionaires in the world, you can look at the unhealthy ones and the healthy ones and you'll find out the healthy ones are the generous ones. And I pray if you're not a believer that one day you will realize how generous our Heavenly Father is. 
He is so generous, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for our sins, to open up the path of salvation so that you and I, we could have a different life, a different future, and we could have the hope of heaven. Now, if you're a believer, hey, generosity makes things happen. And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed what can happen. Tony Campolo is one of my favorite authors. And uh, uh, this story actually happened several years back, so you'll understand some of the dimensions of it. Um, he was flying back into his hometown, Philadelphia, early one morning. You know, it's one of those flights that's gone overnight, and so he, he's getting there bleary-eyed. And he, his plane lands, he looks at his calendar, and he realizes he's supposed to speak that day at 12 o'clock to this large group of women. He's thinking, oh, I don't have anything prepared. So he has time enough to go home, uh, shower, shave, and then make it to this meeting. So he gets to this meeting on the world day of prayer, and he's there going, God, give me something to say. I haven't prepared anything. And there's a woman moderating this. This is in a very large, wealthy church, a thousand women in this room. And the woman running the meeting says, uh, Dr. Campolo, before you come and speak, I just want to share with the women a letter I received from a missionary that we all love and we pray for in Venezuela. And she read the letter, and the substance of the letter was this, that they needed about $5,000 to add on to the hospital uh, because the hospital was so crowded, $5,000. And so then the, the lady turns to Dr. Campolo and says, uh, Dr. Campolo, will you please come up and will you pray that God will meet this need? And Tim, Tony Campolo, being from the north, said, no, no, I'm not going to pray. And he got up and he went and stood beside this woman and he said, I think before we, ought to, we pray, well, before we pray, we ought to see what God's already provided. He reached into his pocket, pulled out his wallet, opened it, pulled out $2.25 and he said, I've got $2.25. And he went down to the front and there's the Lord's Supper table and he put it on that table and he said, let's start here. That's $2.25 we've got toward the 5,000. Then he whirled around, looked at the woman who's still up on the platform and he said to her, I want you to open up your purse and how much cash money do you have? And she looked at him, you know, with that, that look that only a woman can give you. <laughs> Why did we invite you? And she opened up her purse and she had $110. And she brings it down. He says, great, now we got $112.25. And then he points to the woman on the first row, sitting in that front seat, and says, okay, I want you to give all your cash money, bring it up here right now. This woman just shocked. <laughs> and she opens up her purse and she comes and she puts it down and they start going down. He says, now we're going to do this for everybody. I don't want any checks. Because with wealthy women, you never know, right? I only want cash. We're going to see what God's going to do. And he pointed, the, you know, and they went down the road. And finally, all thousand women had brought and put all their cash onto the Lord's Supper table. And Tony Campolo said later, he knew they didn't get it all because some of those women gave him real dirty looks. <laughs> A huge pile of cash. And then they counted it. Now, this is taking up all his speaking time, too, so God's answering two prayers at once. <laughs> Finished counting it. Remember, they needed $5,000. They got $7,000 in cash. 
Yeah. And Tony Campolo said, the sheer audacity of asking God for $5,000 when God's already provided $7,000 in the room. Generosity makes things happen. You remember that prayer I asked you to pray? Heavenly Father, show me my part. Give me the courage to do it. Let's pray. Father, I know your ability to speak to us outweighs any word I could say. I pray that people in this room will be generous, that it will be an extraordinary testimony to our community of what you can do. I, I thank you for the generosity we've already seen, but God, I know that you're giving us this, this opportunity, this push. I don't know how we're going to get there, Lord, but I know that you can, you can do all things. So speak to us. Give us the courage to do it. And Father, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus, I pray that today they will accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord and find out how generous a good God you are. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name.